Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Uh, in my study and preparation, I realized that, um, that this particular message would be uh, quite like last week's if I, if I wasn't careful, and that was that last week's was a, a four-week series jammed into 45, 50 minutes, so that was, that was not good. So, um, so I had to stop a little short. Uh, you have on your programs to go through Romans 8, 26 through 39. And based on my study this week, we're going we're gonna to go through a whopping three verses because that's about all I can get through with how much stuff is here in Romans 8. So I'm going to read it all to you, Romans 8, uh, verse, starting at verse 26 and going through 39. But then we're going to focus on those first three verses. These are the words of God. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. For we we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all things, all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're going to be spending a lot of time in this section over the next couple of weeks. But here's here's where we are right now. With the peace in our minds of no condemnation, and with the vision, the the forward-looking picture of future glorification, what the Apostle Paul does here is he turns the corner in, in his letter, he turns the corner in his letter to speak to us about our victory in Christ Jesus. And it's an amazing victory. It's a victory that cannot be overcome. It's a victory that cannot be undermined. It's a a victory that cannot be reversed in what Christ has done because nobody can defeat him for what he is and, and for what he has accomplished. 
So we're going to talk about our victory that is found in Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at this in many different ways. And as I said, uh, there are many observations in just this small section of Scripture. And all I was able to land on this week were the first three verses. Because God's word, especially in Romans 8, not that it's a canon within a canon, but especially in Romans 8, is so rich and filled with life that you just kind of stop every five seconds and take a deep breath at how good God is and how faithful he has been to us. So this week, we're going to look at these three verses, and we're going to talk about our victory in Christ, and we're going to talk about um, how sure this victory is. How sure this victory is. So, without further ado, Romans 8.26 again says this, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes. You notice there, right off the bat, it says, in the same way. The Bible offers us uh, many uh, opportunities for, for looking for more information. It sometimes offers it through words. It'll, it'll put a word in place that demands you ask a question of it. Okay, So when you see the word therefore in Scripture, there's a question that should come right to your mind automatically. What's the therefore therefore? When you see therefore, you should never stop and just wait. You should look. You should search to the back, to the front, whatever it is to find this answer. Okay, what's the therefore, therefore? Now, there's a natural question that comes here, and I'll bet you each one of you will get it. Paul says, in the same way. What's the natural question? Same way as what? What? What way are we even talking about? Well, in order to put this in the right parallel, in order to compare it correctly, we have to look right before this passage to see what he's talked about, and then we have to notice the point of the verse of 26. When we notice the point of the verse and what he said previously, we can connect these two particular things. So, Go back with me to chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 23, just a couple of verses before, and here's what God's word says. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, now look at the contrast, look at what else is happening after we've just read that. In the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. Follow me. For we do not know how we ought to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The connection that the Apostle Paul is making is saying, you groan, and in the same way, the Spirit himself is groaning in intercession for his people. If you look at it in depth, you'll see that actually three groups are groaning. Creation is groaning for a reason. What are they groaning for? For the freedom that is to be revealed through the glory of the children of God. We talked about this in depth last week. The second group of people that are groaning are you and I. We are groaning for something in particular, and that is the redemption of our bodies. That's what Paul uh, parallels and defines as the adoption of sons. He says, we are groaning to, to the full adoption of the sons, 
the redemption of our body. So he answers his own question there. He, he, or he uh, defines his own categories there. So the point here is that we have, um, we have two th- three people groaning. We have the creation is groaning. We ourselves are groaning. Why are we groaning? Because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's an important thing. And then last but not least, we have the Spirit himself groaning for us. So this is, a, this is quite an amazing idea that we need to keep inside of our minds. The, the, the truth of our life is this, that we don't even know, and I'm going to spend some time on this, but we don't even know how we ought to pray sometimes. How many of you feel that way? Like, I have no idea how to pray. And guess what the scripture says? When you don't know how, the Spirit is praying. It doesn't say when you don't know how, he starts When you don't know how, you don't know how, that's a fact. You don't know how, or you don't know everything that you need to pray for. And therefore, the Spirit of God is always interceding on behalf of His people. Now that, to me, is an amazing truth. An amazing truth. This is how sure our victory is in Christ, that we have a a prayer partner. God. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? right? We have a prayer partner, the Spirit of God himself. But if you really study this section, you'll start to realize, we see it later on in the chapter, I think it's verse 37, but we see it later on, Jesus himself is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. This is an amazing idea. Our Trinitarian God is so magnificent, but what we have is we have the Father in heaven and his Son sitting at his right hand, and we have his Spirit indwelling in us. He is our helper. He is our uh, counselor. And what is he doing? He's interceding on our behalf, okay, with groanings too deep for words. We're going to explain this. He's, He's interceding on our behalf. That goes up, whatever way. That goes to God. That, that goes to the Son, I believe. And the Son is sitting right next to the Father saying, these are mine. These are mine. These are mine. I don't want you to think that the Father has forgotten us. It's just this really interesting imagery that, that the Bible presents. We have the Spirit interceding on our behalf. We have the Son interceding on our behalf. And all of that to the Father. Now, some people look at that and they say, that doesn't make any sense. If God is all-knowing, they just all know. Well, that's true. That's true that God knows. But it, it is perfectly in line with the rest of Scripture. Why? Jesus himself prayed so many times while he was here on earth. Why? Why? Because there's a communion with the Father that they model for us. And I think that is an important thing. So in the same way, just as we are groaning in verse 23, within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions, God's Spirit is helping us, what does it say here, church, in our weakness. Now we need to understand what this weakness is, okay? We need to really wrap our minds around this weakness. Here's what it's not. The term weakness does not imply a propensity towards sin, The weakness here is not an inability to live for the glory of the kingdom of God. It is simply not that. If it did, it would contradict what we've clearly seen in Romans 8 verse 2, which says that we've been set free from the law of sin and death. It would contradict what we see in verse 4 that says that we walk by the Spirit. Think about this. You walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, but you really can't do it, so God's praying for you. 
That wouldn't make any sense. The Apostle Paul has declared clearly, you are set free from a former master. You are joined to a new master, which is Jesus himself. You are joined to him. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. You have been set free unto the law of the spirit and life. And you are obligated, that's what we see uh, previously in chapter 8, you are obligated not to walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So weakness here cannot imply our propensity towards sin. Because as Christians, I've shared this many times, we have the ability to keep on sinning. How many of you know that? Yeah, some of you are practicing it right now. Okay, so you, so you, you know it. We, we have the ability to keep on sinning, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. We don't have permission. So many people in the church today have said, well, Romans 6, Romans 7 says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. You have failed to read it in context because that is the old man and the new man has been set free. The new man is joined to another master. So if you keep walking in it, not that you can't, you can, you just don't have permission to. If you keep walking in it, the problem is, the problem is you're saying, I'm a bride joined to my groom Jesus, but I'm also got a little fling on the side. You think that works? Trust me. There's nobody as jealous as God is, okay? The scripture says jealous is his name. That is profound. Okay, so the point is we've been set free. We're joined to this. We can keep on sinning. That's why passages of scripture tell us quite clearly, if you sin, confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. That's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, but we don't have to sin. How do I know that? Because you've been given everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. You've been given everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Not only that, Scripture tells us that when temptation comes, God has provided an out in every situation. But you know what our problem is? God is saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And we go, I think we should do this. And we go after it, right? We're running after sin. And I don't really understand why. But it is not because your nature is still malfunctioning. You have been made new. It's because you're choosing things. I've shared this with you many times in the past. Adam and Eve before the fall chose to fall. So don't, don't think because you're born again, you can all of a sudden not choose sin. Adam and Eve were more perfect than you are, <laughs> right? Than I am. I'll include myself. I'm, I'm a dog too, right? But the point, the point here is that they chose to walk away and disobey. We can do this. So don't mistake our ability to sin with our destiny to always sin. That's what the church has done for far too long. So what, again, what is weakness? Well, let's look at the, let's look at the verse again because I think, I think we can see it right off the bat. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Now look what follows. This is so cool. For we do not know how to pray as we should. Now, maybe you've, maybe you've never thought about it this way, but not knowing how to pray as a Christian is a weakness, isn't it? Of course. You, you want to do what is right. You want to pray, but here's the problem. You're a child. You are born again. You are new inside of this, and so you don't know how to pray. That is a clear weakness, okay? We keep thinking weakness in terms of moral problems, 
But weakness is not always a moral problem. Amen? Weakness can be, I don't know what to do. I am ignorant in that way. How many of you know that ignorance is a weakness? There are people in the scripture, there are uh, um, older widowed women in the scripture that the Bible tells us are are the prey of of smooth talking uh, false gospel peddlers, okay? And so these these false gospel peddlers are going in for sordid gain. They're trying to make money off of these uh, ignorant widows. They have nobody to protect them, nobody to say, hold on, time out. That's a scam. Don't listen to that guy. That is a weakness. That is a weakness. But nowhere in the Bible would it call that weakness a sin. It's just an ignorance, okay? So one weakness we see explicitly stated in the text. A couple other weaknesses that I want you to consider. Uh, how many of you know that our, uh, our Christian life, our exodus from sin, is a direct mirror of the children of Israel leaving Egypt? We are having our own personal exodus. Do you know that? And so in our exodus, we are living living free from what we were in bondage to before. Sin and death. That that was what held us before. That was our master. That's what continued to push us in this direction. So sin and death was our previous master. And we were set free through the blood of Christ to walk in freedom. But how many of you know we're not in heaven yet? How many of you are awake because you didn't hear my question, right? Okay, so we're not in heaven yet, which means God has allowed for a direct parallel. We are in the wilderness. We are traveling towards the promises of God. Do you see that? Okay, so in our journey through this, there's temptations all around us. There's temptations all around us. There's ignorance. We're, We're young. We're new at this. But think about the way the Israelites left Egypt. They left Egypt in a hurry, and they left Egypt after scarfing down a full meal. They were told to eat fast and get out of Dodge, okay? It wasn't even like a day or two days into this journey, they're like, there's food back home. Can we turn around? Can we go back? There's food back there. They were weakened because they're on this journey. The scripture tells us we don't live on bread alone, but we live by the very word of the mouth of God, the very word that proceeds from his mouth. When we're Christians, born again, we're traveling through this desert on our way to a promise, and in this journey, in this exodus that we're going through, God is sustaining us through his word. Not just that, he's sustaining us because he's interceding for us. I just love that truth of this. So as Christians, we are walking away from sin and we are walking into life and we are doing so through the power of God. Amen? This is a big deal. So we're freed from captivity. We are freed from, uh, uh, we are, um, the Spirit of God is interceding on behalf of our weakness because we're weakened through our captivity and weakened through this journey that we're walking. He is interceding for us on our behalf because we don't know what to pray for. Um, He is also, uh, weakness could could be understood as the fact that we are children. We are born again. How many of you remember this? We are born again. And so since we're born again, guess what? I hope you remember it. Since we're born again, we are, we are weak, right? What do, we, what do we say about protecting children and protecting widows and protecting orphans? We say that we're protecting the weak and the vulnerable. 
This is what the uh, fight over abortion is all about, right? This is why the Christian is a pro-life uh, person. This is why we stand that ground. Why? Because we are about the vulnerable. We are about the weak. We're not about these people because they're pitiful, poor, blind, naked sinners. They are. <laughs> we're children of Adam, church. We're children of Adam. But the point is, we're for them because they're weak. The Spirit is interceding on our behalf because we're weak. But it's not about our sin. Okay, it's about the position that we found ourselves in. Last but not least is uh, a weakness that would say uh, in the context of all of Romans 8, 26 to 39 would be our persecution, our trial, and all of those things. If you have ever endured persecution for your faith, you know what I'm talking about. It, it, it weakens you. People can beat you until you are tired. Until you have no strength. And the Bible tells us in those moments you need to hold fast and stand firm and endure to the end. In those moments you need to look forward and see God has got you. He is protecting you. He is keeping you. Okay. Now we'll see that in greater detail. In John chapter 14 verse 16, uh, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give to you another helper. Who needs help? The weak. Right? The weak need help, and the Spirit of God has come to be our helper. Not only has he come to dwell inside of us, but church, he's interceding on our behalf. Romans 8, 15 through 16. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but a spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father. Because we're children, we're weak, we need protection, we need help. And that's the Spirit of God within us that is crying out, Abba, Father. Ephesians 6.18 teaches us that we are to pray in the Spirit without ceasing. I love that idea. Praying in the Spirit without ceasing. Why? Because we're weak. We need help. We need to call on God. So, uh, just so, you know, just so we're clear on this, we are groaning within ourselves. The Spirit helps our weakness by interceding for us with groans too deep for words, and he leads us into something beautiful. So what about this term, groans too deep for words? Well, all I can say to you is that we have to look at the text itself. With groans too deep for words, first, what a great reality that the Christian life has, that my prayer life, my endurance, my strength, it doesn't rest solely on me. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful. There are people in my life uh, that I call when life is going wrong, okay? There are people that I call because they are great intercessors. But I'm telling you, how uh, peace-inducing, how uh, joyful is it to know that even though you might have those warriors praying for you, the Spirit of God himself is interceding on your behalf. I, I, we've we've got to really think this through. Because, uh, because when all else fails, when you can't get the phone to get through to that person that you so desperately want to pray for you, when you can't access Facebook to lob up your prayer request for people to pray, don't worry. The Spirit of God is interceding on your behalf. I've got a God who cares. It's just an amazing thing. His Spirit is my helper, He's my comforter, and He's also my intercessor. So awesome. Okay, so this term... Spirit groaning. What is it? Well, as we saw from verse 23, it is not something that we're doing. It is not something we're doing. 
Paul has set a clear contrast. Creation is groaning, humanity is groaning, and the spirit is groaning. And the spirit is groaning with words, to, or groans too deep for words. So it is not about what we saw in verse 23. It's over and above what we are capable of doing. Paul has written in other places about praying in the spirit, specifically Ephesians 6.18. The point of me bringing that up is that the apostle Paul has words to say, you pray in the spirit. He has words to say that, and he chooses not to use them here because he's not talking about you partnering with the Spirit. That happens. That happens. Rest your mind. That happens. We pray in the Spirit. We have uh, the groanings in us because of the first fruits of the Spirit. But this text says nothing of the sort. This text is all about what the Spirit of God himself alone is doing. So this is not that, uh, that we can't pray in conjunction with the Spirit, but rather something that he is doing alone. Instead, of the, uh, instead, the Spirit is communing with the Father. He's interceding for us. He is, he is uh, he's, he's calling out deep to deep. That's what the Scripture talks about, okay? Deep, calling out to deep. I know these are references that maybe are foreign to you. But that's what's happening here. Remember, there are no words, just groans, like we see in verse 27. So let's explain why this is so important that it is the Spirit doing this and not us. Because the, the text itself communicates this. Look at it again. He who searches. I want you to underline a couple of things. If you have your Bibles, highlight them if you want to. But in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. That's a weakness. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Not with us there. For us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 27. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's as clear as mud. He, the Spirit, He. Who are we talking about right now? Well, that's what we're going to clear up, okay? So, remember, no words. This is important. And He who searches the heart, who is the He here? Jesus would tell us in Luke 16, 15, that this is God the Father. Luke 16, 15 says, For the Father who knows the hearts. King David would confirm that same exact truth. He would say it in Psalm 139, 1 through 5. Just look that up on your own time. But Jesus himself says that it's him. Okay? So we have what we know from Scripture is the one who knows the heart is both the Father and the Son. Revelation 2.23, Jesus says, I am he who searches the minds and hearts. So what does this have to do with verse 27? Well, if God is the Father, uh, or if God the Father and the Son are those who search the hearts, then he is referring to God. Now, let's read it in its context again. Romans 8, 27. And he, God the Father, and the Son, who searches the hearts, knows what? Knows the mind of the Spirit. See, God doesn't have to ask him a question, right? He knows the mind of the Spirit. Well, what's that have to do with this? This is the Holy Spirit. So if we connect all of these points, Paul says the reason why there are no words and groanings too deep for us to utter, why deep is calling out to deep, is, is because the Father and the Son know the mind of the Spirit and the last line. The Spirit always and only prays the will of the Father. 
The Spirit always and only prays what God wants. That's an impressive reality. So verse 27, he, the Father and the Son, searches the hearts, that's your and my heart, knows the mind of the Spirit that is dwelling in us because Paul is talking about Christians. The Spirit that is in us because he intercedes, the Spirit of God intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There's no words necessary because all we ever see from the Spirit of God is interceding according to God's will. That, to me, just puts my mind at ease. It just rests my heart because now I know something very profound. I know that my victory is so certain because I have an intercessor, and he isn't, he isn't faulty. He isn't fallible. He's the Spirit of God, and the thing he prays for is always and only the will of God. He knows how to pray, church, where you and I don't. He knows how to pray. You don't. He knows how to pray. You don't. Let's just say that therapeutically. He knows how to pray. We don't. Right? This is really important for us to understand. And why don't we know how to pray? That is our weakness. We're growing. We're learning. Even when we get older and we understand prayers like Jesus' prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread or forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Even when we learn that, the Spirit of God is still interceding on our behalf according to the will of God. But as I was studying this, something really important jumped out to me. And I hope this will sink into the hearts of those here today. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Go ahead and turn with me there. You, you need to highlight it. You need to, you need to keep your finger in that part of your Bible just to hear what, I, what I'm trying to convey this morning. 1 John chapter 5. Verse 14. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Here's what it says. This is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. How many of you have read this passage or heard this passage preached and thought, man, I want to know the will of God because I want to know he's listening? How many of you have ever read that and prayed that. You've looked at that and you've said, this is the person I want to be. If it says that i got to pray according to the will of God for him to hear me, then I want to pray according to the will of God so I know confidence. I know that he hears me. Here's what's amazing with what we just learned. You, as a born-again follower of Jesus, one indwelt by the Spirit of God, always have an audience with the Father. Why? Because you have an intercessor that is always praying for the will of God for you. The Spirit of God inside of you is always interceding on your behalf according to the will of God, because that's all the Spirit ever prays, which means through the Spirit of God, church, we always are heard by God. I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to that say, I don't feel like God listens to me. He hears you, and he may not be listening to you because of you, but he is because the Spirit of God that dwells inside of you is interceding on your behalf according to the will of God. You have the greatest prayer partner the world has ever known in the Spirit of God. So when we put these together, we know I am always listened to by the Father. I am always listened to by the Father. So God is clearly a good Father who wants our good. Better yet, He is a good Father who wants His good for us. 
I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it again just to reinforce it. God cares for your holiness, not your happiness. Okay? Cares for your holiness, not your happiness, which means holiness comes at a price. It's called suffering. It's called pain. It's called taking up your cross daily and following after him. It's called looking at your friends in the eye and saying, I don't do that anymore. It's called pursuing Jesus with everything that you have. Why? Because of the mercy he has shown to you. Amen? This is a really important idea. So God wants his good for us. Although I could spend hours on this talking about Joseph in the Old Testament, whatnot. I'm going to continue on with two points that I see uh, from uh, the second part of my, um, my text today. So verse 28, this leads us, all of this intercession leads us right in to Paul saying one of the most famous lines ever. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. When Paul says God causes all things to work together for good, he has in mind the good that he has in mind and the all things he has in mind are trials, persecution, uh, uh, famine, nakedness. All of these were a part of the first century Christian life because they chose to follow Jesus. There were, there were groups of Christians that were not allowed to buy food in the market. Why? Because you're one of those Christians. Well, guess what comes because of that? Famine. Guess what comes because of that? Nakedness. This is in light with persecution. What I want you to hear, and it, this, is, this is something that I would love to have tons of conversations with you if you struggle with what I'm about to say. Please email. Please talk to me. God working all things together for your good. Paul does not have in his mind that your car broke down that your refrigerator went on the fritz. He does not have in mind that you stubbed your toe. He does not have in mind all things quite literally in that respect. He doesn't have it, okay? God's word has told us the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Stuff happens. How many, can, how many know that? Stuff happens, okay? And sometimes stuff happens. Check me. Sometimes stuff happens and God doesn't do anything with it. You're like, uh, help me out here, man. And he's going, I, I, never, I never promised that, right? I have so, I talk to so many people that put God in this place where he's like, he's like, watch, that guy cut you off. I'm going to make you more like Jesus. Watch this. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe because you realize you're a jerk, right? And you need to confess. But, but the, the point is, that's, that's not the all things. Every bit of the context of Romans 8 is trial and persecution and, and famine and nakedness and all of these things that are coming at you. And what Paul is trying to get the church in Rome to know is that those things can't do squat to their salvation. Those things can't move God's victory one iota to the right or to the left. He's trying to reassure them there is nothing that's going to separate you. And God even causes those painful moments to work for your good. So rest. Just trust me. Just trust me. So when we see this, we've got to make sure we understand. We're not talking about the weird nonsense of life. God is working trials and tribulations and all of these things for the sake of Jesus, for our good. Go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 
18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. How do we get to the glory? Ah, verse 17. For if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, taking up your cross, following after him, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. If this, then this, it's a suffering. In the midst of the suffering, you're tempted to lose heart. God's word says God's working that for your good. Don't worry. God's working that for your good. You know how well the Apostle Paul knew this? Not only did he write this, but he wrote to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he said, momentary light affliction. Look at the context. It's persecution. It's trial. It's not they didn't have a refrigerator. Okay? It is, it is momentary light affliction. All of that is working in you an eternal weight of glory. Paul knows this. Paul knows this. So why do I bring this up? I bring this up to tell you that you were promised as a Christian, Addy, you were promised now as a Christian, you will face trial. Donovan, you are promised as a Christian, you will face trial. But when those things come, take a deep breath and realize God is using that to bring about your good. Trial is not a, a, a sign that you're doing it wrong. It's a sign you're doing it right. So when you go to school and everybody says you're a lunatic for following after Jesus, you're crazy for not participating in X, Y, or Z. I don't know why you do this. Your, your statement is God is working even this persecution, even this uh, ostrac uh, ostracizing for his glory. Amen. He's working it for his glory. So you take a deep breath and you know God is doing something inside of your life. Such a powerful truth. So... All things, what does it mean? It's about this affliction, this persecution, this trial that we go through. Can we learn things from uh, having patience when a family member suffers in sickness? Can we learn things there? Yes, absolutely. But it is my estimation, as I have read this and I have studied what Paul was saying, it is not, it's not about that, okay? It is about trial. And the American Christian has lived so long without persecution that we, it's foreign to us. This is just a weird idea. We're like, persecution, this must be this. God is working everything else for my good. No, 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 no. He is working all the trials and all the pain and all the suffering that you go through for following him for your good. He's molding you and shaping you into his son. Do you see it, church? This is a big deal. Second observation, and we'll wrap up. This promise is made to those who are called according to his purpose. How does calling work? This is important for us because there's much debate on this idea. Let's look at a couple of passages. You can write these down because I'm going to go quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says this. It says that God is faithful through whom you were called. And then it goes on to say, through whom you were called into fellowship with the Son. So, here's the observations that we have from this. The calling of God displays his faithfulness. Barney shared with us in our devotion this morning, uh, Psalm 139, correct? Or 136? 136. And 136 has 26 verses and every other verse 
well, every verse, it's every verse, 26 times we see, and God's faithfulness endures to the end. His loving kindness endures to the end. His mercy endures to the end. It's the same word, right? And so what's amazing about this is that the calling of God is to talk about his character. Number one, it's the faithfulness of God. The purpose for which anyone and everyone is called is fellowship with the Son. There is no such thing as heaven without God. So many people talk about getting out of hell and going to heaven, but they don't want to meet God when they get there. You've heard this phrase, right? The truth is, there is no heaven without the Father. There is no heaven without God. And the point of this whole calling is so that you'll have fellowship with the Son, right? i got to wake Ben up. He's, he's drifting on me. Okay, sorry. So I called you out. That'll wake him up for good or cause him to, you know, hate me forever. Anyway, the purpose is... Calling to relationship, Galatians 1.6. Don't get me wrong, he wasn't snoring. Okay, we, we caught him before. Okay, Galatians 1.6. Sorry, Ben, you can beat me up later. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. The calling of God displays the faithfulness of God. It's for the purpose of fellowship with the Son, and it was done via grace. Okay, it is the gospel that calls us by grace. Again, Galatians 6.1. Uh, des- uh, you are deserting him, Jesus, who called you by the grace of Christ. You're deserting him by the grace of Christ. That's the calling. The calling of God comes via the grace of Christ. His work on the cross makes calling possible. Second Thessalonians 2.14. Uh, it was for this he called you through our gospel. He goes on to talk about your glorification. So, two purposes now relationship with the Son, and future glorification. He's the firstborn among many brethren, and you are his brothers and sisters. Purpose is glory, right, as we talked about. But the calling of God comes through the gospel. Don't miss this. Write this down in the, in the script of your brain so that you can never be led astray. The calling of God comes through the gospel, which as we know, according to Romans 1.16, is the power of God unto salvation. We also know that we are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8, and that faith comes by hearing, Romans 10.17. And hearing comes by the word of God or the word about Christ, which is code word for the gospel. Faith arrives because the gospel is presented. The call of God is in your life because the gospel was spoken to you. If you want to know whether or not you were called, the question is, have you heard the gospel? If you have, you are called. You are called. You are called. Matthew twenty two fourteen says, many are called, but few are chosen. And the reason for this reality is because there's a decision that needs to be made. In the context of Matthew uh, 22, what took place? A man entered the wedding feast without wedding clothes on, and he was thrown out because of the clothes he wore, not because the master of the wedding feast said, I didn't call you. He didn't. He said, you didn't show up for the right reasons. You, you're not, what are you doing? What are you doing? There are many people who come to Jesus for the free food, right? Even in modern day churches, right? Potlucks, they're a thing, right? So we, we come to Jesus for the food. We come to Jesus for the community that we have. There are people who come to Jesus because they want to be healed. But just like the nine lepers, they run away after they're healed and they never return. 
Many are called, but few are chosen. And if you want to know if you're called, you, it's whether or not you've heard the gospel. The gospel is the message of God that calls each and every one of us to move into life with him. That's the thing that begins, begins faith inside of us. Again, it's a message it's a message of calling. It's a message of fellowship. It's a message of glory. It's a message of relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So here's the deal. We're talking about the assurance of our victory. How sure is our victory? It's so sure that when you're doubting, don't, don't worry. Don't doubt further. The Spirit of God is interceding on your behalf. Isn't that amazing? He's interceding. What you're groaning for and what creation is groaning for, nothing. Spirit of God's groaning for it too. I'm good. I got Jesus interceding on my behalf as well. I love this reality, okay? So it's so sure because I have the greatest intercessor possible. And it is sure on the other end because I've been called. I've been called. And the promise that we're going to talk about next week is this promise by way of comparison that Paul talks about because here's what he says. Those whom God calls, he justifies. And those whom he justifies, he glorifies. So what do I have to do? Rest. I have to take note that God has got me. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.